Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit therapynotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code TherapyChat when you sign up for a free trial at therapynotes.com. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy-to-use, HIPAA-compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code TherapyChat. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I am very pleased to be bringing you an interview with an interesting guest who's going to talk with us about a missing component of our current conceptualization of grief. My guest today is Claire Bidwell-Smith. Claire is a therapist and the author of the new book, Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. Claire, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad that we connected because I've been exploring learning more about grief through interviews on the podcast 
this year and the pandemic kind of brought things to a screeching halt in terms <laughs> of, you know, what we've been covering, but, you know, and I made a shift to just focusing more on what everybody's living through right now. But the, the great thing about our conversation is that this, this fits in with what's happening now. And it's something that people I'm sure will find to be timely. So before we even dig into our conversation, let's just start off by you telling our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. I have been in the grief and loss world for 20 years, all of my adult life, really. I went through a series of personal losses early on. Both of my parents died of cancer when I was young. And that really kind of catapulted me into this work, but not before I kind of had to go through some really difficult times and soul searching and breakdowns, kind of trying to move through so much grief at such a young age when all of my peers were in college and navigating their, you know, first jobs and relationships in life. And I was really steeped in a lot of grief and, and just thinking about mortality in ways that no one else around me, my age was. When I came through the hardest parts of that, I, with a lot of therapy, uh, I was inspired to go back and get my master's in clinical psychology and become a therapist as well. And it was interesting. I was just thinking about this today. When I was in grad school, I remember at one point in a class, the topic of grief and death and loss coming up and it, all the students around me all shook their heads like, no, nope, we'll not be in that field. Um, and I was the only one that was like, yay, that's my field. <laughs> and I've just, you know, I've been interested in, and forced to think about life and death and end of life and illness and grief for, for again, all of my adult life. And it's something that I very much have found very meaningful in helping other people do. And especially because it's a space that a lot of people are reluctant to step into, reluctant to talk about, it feels very important to continue to, to do work in that field. I've written three books about grief and loss along the way. The first is a memoir about my personal experiences. The second one is an exploration of how looking at different views of the afterlife affect the grief process. And then the most recent one, anxiety, the missing stage is about something I was seeing in all of my clients. In my years in private practice, I specialize in grief. So almost everyone who came to see me was grieving in some way or another. And so many of them were experiencing anxiety, sometimes for the first time in their lives. And it wasn't addressed in any of the grief literature that I had ever come across. So I began to write about it online in articles. And the response I got was enormous. Um, I got more clients from one article I wrote about grief and anxiety than anything I've ever done in my career. Um, more than any book I've written, I had people People calling me, emailing me saying, is this real? Is this a component of grief? Um, I've been having panic attacks or experiencing anxiety since my dad died or since my stillbirth or whatever it was um, that they had gone through. And, and so I started to really get an influx of anxious clients and was able to really kind of dive into the work of it. And that new book is, is the, the product of that. That's wonderful. And as you're talking about it, it just resonates so much that a couple things. One is that we as clinicians and we in our culture in general just tend to shy away from thinking about death. We don't want to think about loss. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like, well, that's not going to happen. You know, or I'll worry about that later or whatever. We just avoid it. And I know I really felt that way before I had a very significant loss in my life, which was my grandmother about 
16 years ago, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it was a hospice social worker who made me realize that death is just another one of the parts of life and being human. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the thing that we should always be like afraid of or trying to avoid. I mean, of course, we want to live as long as we can, but you know, when when someone passes, it's also natural. It is. It's something we're all going to go through in our lifetimes. You know, none of us are going to escape losing someone we love and none of us are going to escape death itself, but it can be really scary. And I think one of the things that makes it scary is that we don't have a lot of framework for talking about it. People do shy away from it. People are uncomfortable. People are scared to talk about it. So it's this kind of hidden subject and people don't always know where to turn when they go through it because it doesn't seem readily available. Yeah. And then the other part that you're, you spoke about that really resonated for me is that I think people don't expect to feel anxious and panicky after mm-hmm. someone they love. It's more they expect to be sad. So if they don't feel, I mean, of course, I'm sure that they still feel sad, but if they don't feel that sadness is their overwhelming problem or like depressive type symptoms, they don't realize that it can be connected. And then they, you know, they don't know what to call why they're feeling that way, you know? Right. Grief is, is so different than people think it's going to be. Um, I think that our, the ideas we have in our head or from movies or whatever about people grieving, it's someone being sad for a period of time um, and mourning. But there's so many more components of grief. And there's really difficult ones. There's guilt. There's anger. There's um, magical thinking. There's definitely depression. There's this kind of existential um, floating, you know, there is definitely anxiety. I think the five stages of grief are, are fascinating. I, I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I've always revered her work and, and what she did for our, you know, culture in terms of helping us talk more about death and grief and loss and explore it. But even the five stages kind of got away from her. You know, she originally, when she created the five stages, they were, they were for people who were dying. She was working in a hospital in Chicago in the 1960s. And she was noticing that all of the patients who were dying, um, were going through these five stages, which were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And when someone is dying, those stages fit pretty well and often quite linear. They are first in denial, then they're angry about their terminal diagnosis, then they're bargaining with their higher powers, then their doctors themselves, then they kind of sink into this depression and then they slowly kind of come around to accepting the fact that this is really happening. She kind of ended up moving those five stages. They became so popular and then she kind of moved them onto the the process of grief and they were just swept away by from her. Largely because I think that it's such an appealing idea to have a formula. You know, when you're going through a huge loss in your life and it's the biggest emotional turmoil you've ever experienced and it feels like everything is falling apart. The idea that there's these just these five stages you need to get through um, is really appealing, right? Like, I'm just going to move through these five stages and get to the other side and I won't be in this pain anymore. So people really tend to cling to them. And, you know, in the grief, in the clinical grief world these days, we've all tried to make a big effort to 
demystify those five stages, talk about how fluid they are, talk about how they're not linear. They're really just guideposts. Um, there's more stages that are listed in those five. You know, anxiety is one of them. David Kessler, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's co-author just came out with a new book called The Sixth Stage, which is called, which is meaning. So there's a lot more to the grief process, but it's usually one of the biggest things people have ever been through in their lives is grieving the loss of a loved one. And it's very overwhelming. It is. And really, I mean, you know, if it's a family member, parent, you know, all of your attachment stuff and trauma stuff Mm -hmm. can come up too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing about trauma is it's something sudden and unexpected that overwhelms you. And so many people experience their loss that way as well, you know, absolutely. Just it happens suddenly. So thank you for explaining all of that. And yeah, I've definitely seen people saying, Oh, yeah, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm in the anger stage of grief now. You know, we want to understand mm-hmm. what's happening. And it's sort of a way that we try to control, I guess, you know, just if we can know what's sure. going on, then we can feel less out of control. Definitely. I mean, and it's just hard to be in that much pain. But I see so many people kind of flail around in their grief. When they come to my office for the first time, they'll, one of the first things they usually say to me is, I think I'm doing this wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I'm grieving wrong. I'm stuck in a stage or I haven't been crying or I can't stop crying or I'm really angry or I don't feel anything or I feel too much or they just feel like they're doing it wrong. And the truth is there is no right way to grieve. Yeah, I know. I mean, having grieved myself, I, the second time it happened to me more recently, it was at least a little easier just because I felt like, oh, I get what's going on. But I remember Mm -hmm. just being, you know, I remember being in my bathroom and laughing to myself, you know, I just thought of something and I laughed to myself and then I started crying. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. like, oh no, (laughs) I I had this thought like, oh, you're losing it. Like (laughs) laughing and crying, like in one Five second period. That's not normal. It can really be a roller coaster. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so that's, that's what a mood swing really is. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I talked a little bit before we started recording about how during this current pandemic, there's a lot of grief that people are feeling in this experience. And then there are a lot of people who were grieving who are having additional, you know, responses coming up during the pandemic. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, people are really grieving. Everyone is grieving on some level right now, it seems. Whether they're grieving the loss of a person to COVID or they're grieving the loss of their child getting to graduate high school this next month, you know, or they're grieving the loss of a job or they're grieving the way of life that they were living. There is so much grief going on or the kind of public grief of turning on the news every night and seeing the death tolls. Mm-hmm. I mean, that itself is a form of grief. But there is an enormous amount of grief that I think we're all going through. And it's it's because there's so much loss on so many levels. We're having to let go of so many things. And we're also sitting in a sea of uncertainty. You know, we don't know how this is going to play out still. We don't know how it will end. We don't know when it will end. And having to sit in that space and hold space for it is very difficult. And then we have people who are having to say goodbye to loved ones virtually because they cannot be with them in the hospital. Um, Then we have people who are sitting at home in isolation, grieving by themselves. We have people who are unable to hold funerals, sit shiva, have memorials, 
wakes. They're trying to do some of it virtually, but they're, for the most part, we're having to forego all of these customs that really help us heal through the grief process. So it's, it's an unprecedented time in the world of grief. I've never in my lifetime or even really thought that much about it in other periods in history of the whole world going through something together at one time. Usually when you're grieving, it's this very lonely experience where you feel like the whole world is going on around you and doing all their things and you're grieving and you're you're crumbling inside. And in this case, we're all going through it at the same time, which is kind of wondrous and beautiful and heartening on some level. And so I've been trying to take stock and appreciate in that idea. Yeah, it is a collective experience. And it's that is painful, but it has a beauty to it as well, because it reminds us that we're all interconnected. Mm -hmm. I think we really forget that often. Yeah, it's an interesting way of grieving. Because again, usually it's so lonely, and you really feel like everyone's just doing their things and having a barbecue and going on summer vacation and your world has fallen apart. You know, you're looking mm-hmm. at social media and everyone's all bright and happy and whatnot. Um, and it's different. And then the other thing you touched on was uh, how this is bringing up old grief for other people. Um, so this can be an incredibly triggering time for people who have already experienced loss or had an illness themselves or have a pre-existing condition or lost someone to illness. I am talking with a lot of clients who, you know, went through a loss either in the last year or five, six, 10 years ago. And this is bringing up huge new waves of grief and uncertainty and anxiety for them. Yeah. Something you said in the beginning about when you mentioned panic, it, it really hit me because when, when my parent was ill last fall and it had gone on for days and days and days and days, I was anticipating their death. I started waking up every single morning. I would wake up and I would immediately have the thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I would just feel so panicky. And it really Mm -hmm. scared me to feel that way every single morning. You know, it would, after about an hour, I would settle down and be like, okay, I'm okay. I can do this. But Mm -hmm. it was very disconcerting. And when the pandemic started, I had the same thing for like two weeks. I had never had it any other time in my life. And all of a sudden that happened. I'm like, where is this coming from? I think a lot of people will relate to that. I too, I would wake up in the mornings in the first couple of weeks of this and open my eyes and be like, oh my God, I'm back in this this, this nightmare, you know? Yeah. And it was very anxiety inducing and made me feel panicky as well. And I feel panicky these days going to the grocery store or get set off by certain news. It's a really difficult time. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's also disconcerting for people is to have those kind of panicky feelings. And this is what I'm hearing from clients. It's like, why am I feeling like this? I'm fine. I'm in my house safe. I have mm-hmm. food. I even have toilet paper. I'm not, nothing's happening. I haven't, no one that I love is sick. Why do I feel like this? And, and for the clients who have a history of, you know, having lost someone, whether recent or a very important loss in the past, they're, they're kind of like berating themselves. Like, why, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Why am I feeling like this? I don't understand because mm-hmm. it seems incongruent to the situation, but from what you're saying, it's not. 
No, it's not. I think, you know, I think when you've gone through one big loss in life, it's you learn this thing that most people are oblivious to, which is that terrible things can happen. You know, we can lose the people we love the most. People can die unexpectedly or have an illness. People can suffer, can go through great deep loss. And once you have learned that and experienced it, often a lot of people will tend to catastrophize thereafter, you know, in their lives. If, if something like this happens, the pandemic breaks out, they may much more quickly go to the thoughts that I'm going to get sick or I'm going to lose a loved one or everything's going to fall apart and we're all going to die. You know, there people who have been through big loss or any kind of trauma are much more likely to go to that headspace immediately when something like this happens, as opposed to someone who hasn't ever really experienced trauma or loss. They can look at this with a much more ground pragmatic, you know, viewpoint that does not cause them anxiety. Yeah. And I just want to highlight in what you're saying. I know that I just, I don't think it's necessary, but I just want to sort of amplify, like, it's not intentional. It's not like people are going, well, what's the worst thing can happen? It's just, it's automatic. And then not at all. It's a way of preparing. It's a way of trying to take care of yourself, trying to cope, trying to brace for it, trying to, you know, just prepare. Anxiety is a form of worry and anxiety isn't always a bad thing. We have, we all always have a certain level of anxiety that is helpful, helps us get ready to take a big exam or give a big talk or get ready to, you know, go on a trip and pack all the right things. This like low level current of anxiety that we all kind of usually have is helpful, but it can begin to spiral out of control when we've gone through a trauma or a loss. Yeah. And when we're dealing with something, this extended period of uncertainty. It's the uncertainty that's so difficult to grapple with. I think, say, we all knew that there was an exact end date, you know, and everything was going to be fine again. We would probably all be able to relax a little more and feel prepared or feel like we knew it was going to happen. But having to really sit in this space of not knowing is so difficult. Yeah, it is. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes and there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming and that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. So Claire, can you maybe give some ideas or suggestions for what people who are feeling particularly anxious now during the pandemic, or, you know, if they're listening to this three years from now, and hopefully that's all behind us, but they still are having, you know, they've lost someone and now they're having this out of control anxiety. What, what would you suggest for people? Do you have any tips? 
Yeah, there's a few things. You know, anxiety can be really insidious and just kind of we can start to run in loops of anxiety that can build and build and go deeper. But it's also something that's really not that hard to get control of if you just apply a little work to it. A lot of it is cognitive work. Let's take the example of you waking up in the morning and talking about how you just couldn't bear to face another day of this. You can't do it, right? Mm -hmm. That's really just a thought. It's the thought, I can't do this. Um, So if you wake up in the morning and you have that thought, recognizing the thought, you know, having some compassion for yourself, that that's your first immediate response to the morning, understanding why, you know, given the circumstances, but then working with that thought, either letting it go or replacing it with a different thought. I can do this. I can do this. I can get up. I can cope. I am supported. I am okay. I will get through this, you know, really just kind of trying to switch your thoughts. Because if we follow the thought that is causing the anxiety, we end up going down a rabbit hole. It goes from, I can't do this to, I'm going to fall apart to, I can't get through the day, we have a physiological response to those thoughts. Our heart starts to race, you know, our palms sweat, we get nauseous, we get tingly and lightheaded. Um, it just becomes this big loop. So a lot of the, the work that, you know, we do with anxious clients is to really start helping them recognize the thoughts that are causing anxiety and work with them, either pivoting or working through the thought and dismissing it altogether. Mindfulness and meditation, which sounds so simple and also so difficult to some people are really, really instrumental in in helping relieve anxiety. Um, When we're grieving, we're very often not present to the present moment. We are thinking a lot about the past, who we lost, how we lost them, what we could have done differently, what we, you know, wish we could go back and do and say and be there for, um, how the person felt if they were suffering or we're up in the future thinking about things that haven't even happened yet. We're dwelling in this future space of what our life is going to look like without them or what it's going to be like to go to that wedding this summer alone or all these just future scenarios. Am I going to get sick too? What if more people die that I love? And we're very rarely in the present moment. Those two spaces of the past and the future can also cause a lot of anxiety because again, they're, they're thoughts, you know, there are other thoughts that have occurred about things that have occurred or thoughts about things that haven't even happened. So recognizing that and bringing yourself back to this grounded space of getting centered, doing breath work and just getting really grounded can really, really diminish anxiety. Those are some of my favorite things to start working with, with anxious clients. Awesome. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. so Let's say someone is feeling extremely anxious. I'll give you a hypothetical example. Let's say someone Mm -hmm. lost their parent in a car accident two years ago, and now they're at home and not going out because of the quarantine, and they find themselves obsessively worrying about, say, running out of money or something, mm-hmm. something that doesn't relate in any way to losing their mom two years ago. So for that person, they're super overwhelmed with anxiety, but they think it's about running out of money. How would you help that person, you know, kind of understand what's really causing all this anxiety? That's such a good question and example. Often, it's a good example of how often we will push our grief away and and replace it with some other idea that that's why we're feeling different thoughts, whether it's depression or anxiety or anger or guilt, um, because the grief itself is too painful. You know, often when we peel up the lid on guilt or anger, um, underneath is just sadness, but it's really hard to just sit in your sadness. You know, some people tell me they feel like if they start crying, they're never going to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hear so many examples 
examples of, of people doing things like this, you know, obsessively getting anxious about something that's totally unrelated to their loss, yet it's still the loss underneath it that's fueling a lot of those feelings. Sometimes it's hard for people to understand that on their own. I think that that is where the job of therapists come in, of support groups, um, or reading good books about loss. If someone's, if someone's alone and isolated right now and going through a lot of anxiety, I really think they should get some support. I think that they should reach out for some, you know, virtual therapy or find an online support group, read some books about grief and loss. Grief doesn't go anywhere. It's always kind of there waiting for us when, when we are ready to work through some of it. Sometimes it will come and go. We'll, we'll come back to some of our grief, maybe five, 10 years out from a loss because we're either developmentally ready to tackle some of it, or we're just in a different space in life and understand the loss itself in a different way. So there's always an opportunity to work through our grief. And I think that that can be really helpful. I think in terms of reducing anxiety when at home alone, you know, doing some of these techniques of mindfulness or meditation, but also really limiting your news intake. I think that um, it's important to do that. That can become another one of those things that we constantly obsess over the news and it just perpetuates our anxiety. I personally like to do like a five, 10 minute news check-in after I've gotten out of bed, after I've had some coffee and I'm grounded, I'll do like a five, 10 minute news check-in. And then maybe at the end of the day, and sometimes if I the news is causing me a lot of anxiety, I will appoint someone else in my life to check and let me know if there's something I need to know about. Doing things like that really reduce my my personal anxiety. And I know that works for a lot of the people I work with. But I think, you know, I think that we really do need to kind of step into our grief more often as individuals and as a culture, because it does create these other symptoms, you know, of anxiety in other places. Right, exactly. Like I've seen where people can start having major issues in their relationship because their anxiety is causing them to start behaving in a really controlling manner when that's, it's not about what their partner's doing or not doing. It's about these feelings that they have that they, you know, that they haven't been able to face because they're so painful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you have, I mean, definitely your books, I'm sure would be great resources. But I would like you to talk a little bit about like, when you mentioned reading books about grief, I would like to know kind of what types of books should people read? Because you have out there memoirs where people share their experience, as you mentioned, your first book was. And then like, and I read like, I think it was called The Year of Magical Thinking. I can't remember the author's name right now. Joan Didion. Yes, Joan Didion. Thank you. So that's her firsthand account. And that can normalize what she went through, if that feels close to what you feel. But, you know, should people read memoirs where they read other people's stories? Or should they read, you know, self help or how to's or more clinical stuff? There's so many things out there. I think they should read whatever resonates with them. Some people, when they're coming through a loss, they really do want to soak up other people's stories of loss. So there's a, amazing memoirs out there. You know, there's Wild by, by Cheryl Strait about losing her mom. There's a book called Her about a woman who loses her twin sister. There's just, I mean, there's countless grief memoirs out there that are available. And then there's a lot of amazing clinical self-help books. You know, um, one of my favorite grief books is It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine. 
Okay. Um, I also really like Bearing the Unbearable by Joanne Cacciatore. That's a really great one. Um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has like 25 books and I love her work. There's, um, there's so many. There's a guy named Tom Zuba who wrote a book called Permission to Grieve, which I think is a nice one. And so I really think it's what, what resonates with you. You know, some people won't like the certain tone of a book. It just won't fit into their grief vibe, you know, and other people will like really soak up one book and feel really seen and supported by it. So I would say like play around, pick up books. If, if it feels good, read it. If it's not a great fit, move on to the next thing. Awesome. And then I appreciate that so much that you shared those. I got to tell you just the two titles. It's okay that you're not okay. And bearing the unbearable just made mm-hmm. me say, ah, it just made me mm-hmm. feel, feel good. Yeah. What about you're doing some things like courses and stuff? What, what do you have available for help with that? Are there courses? Are they more for clinicians or for anyone? They're for anyone who's grieving. I have an online course called a safe place to grieve. And it's something you can do on your own. It's got a six week module, but you can do it longer or faster. And there's a workbook that goes with it and videos that you get by email. You can sign up to do it at three o'clock in the morning and start whenever and, and do it on your own time. Um, and then I have one about specifically around anxiety. I have a course that is for someone who's gone through loss and really wants their partner or spouse to understand what they're going through. So it's one you work through with your partner or spouse. Often that's something I hear from clients is that they feel like their partner or spouse doesn't understand what they're experiencing or isn't supportive. I have meditations. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. I often hear that about, you know, like they think I should be over this by now. Right. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's hard to understand grief if you haven't been through it. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to hold space for grief, even if you have been through it, um, especially when you're in a like working household or a relationship. I have a lot of meditations online for grief. And I often offer um, live grief support, either in the form of discussions that I have online that anyone can join um, with a guest and a Q&A. Or I also do courses that are live sometimes where you get to interact with me. I think you know I was putting these things in place already before the pandemic hit. And now I'm so glad that I've learned this kind of virtual world. It's not ideal. I love to sit down one-on-one face-to-face with a person and really, really sit there with them. Um, And I love to do group work. I think that it can be so healing to be with other people who are grieving. So I've always really valued that. Um, And so it's, it's definitely a new world to be doing so much of it virtually, but I think it's it's better than nothing and it's still it's still pretty good, you know, and you can really get a lot out of it and feel supported, which is the important part. Yeah, that's amazing that you have all of those resources. Thank you so much for sharing about those. And we'll definitely yeah. I'll give you a chance at the end to tell people where they can find all of that good stuff. One of the last things that I wanted to ask you about is we, we talked a little bit before we started about how there's there's like a you you use the words a tsunami of grief that's coming mm-hmm. you know can you talk about that a little bit yeah i think it's going to you know everyone that i know in the grief world we're really coming together right now and trying to put a lot of things in place we're having weekly meetings you know with 80 to 100 of us from different grief disciplines around the country and even abroad and trying to figure out what can we put in place to support all the massive amount of grief that's coming. And it's not just grief, but it's complicated grief. You know, there's going to be a lot of complicated grief coming out of this, which means it's going to be grief that's complicated by people not being able to have said goodbye to their loved ones or not being able to have a funeral or 
you know, having someone die so unexpectedly from this pandemic, it's, it's going to be complicated. And, and it's not going to happen all at once. You know, we're, a lot of us are kind of like ready and waiting and it's not going to happen this minute. There are definitely people grieving and people dying right now every day, but grief is a funny creature, you know, and I think that grief unfurls itself over a period of years. And in the beginning, when we lose someone, there's a, there's a, there's a period of shock and denial that we can go through. Sometimes we don't feel anything at all. Sometimes we don't cry. Sometimes we just don't even know what to do. And then as the months go on, it can begin to kind of settle in and live in our bodies and, and unfold in ways we can't expect. And it can go on for years. That's one of the misleading things about grief. I think most people think it should last a short period of time. We might like, like it to last a short period of time. But the truth is some grief and loss lives with us forever. And bereavement itself, the period of mourning can last for several years, five years even. You lose a spouse that you had been married to for 30 years. You lose a child. You lose a parent that kind of attachment. Those aren't things you get over. And I don't think we have to get over them. We learn to live with grief and we learn to create meaningful lives again and be happy and find ways to move through the world. But we never get over losing somebody significant. And so I think what we're trying to prepare for is the kind of unfolding of how this grief is going to play out for everyone who's going through it right now, because it's not just going to be this year. It will be in the coming years that people are still processing losses they had, you know, last month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what you said about the loss of the rituals that we have that help us come to terms Mm -hmm. with losing important people in our lives, that just feels so true about not being able to be together and not being able to gather with your other surviving family members. Let's say if you lose, let's say a grandparent passes and you can't be with them. So that's one horrible thing, but then you can't gather together with the people you love to grieve together and support one Mm -hmm. another and feel supported. And, you know, there's, that's something that it's just sad. It's going to be really tough. Yeah. There's not going to be an easy fix for it. So the more support we can create out there and the more dialogue we can put out there about this so that people don't feel like they're alone or they don't feel like there's something wrong with them for struggling. I think that that's going to be really important. Just really getting the message out as much as possible that grief is very real and very big and very unwieldy, but that there are a lot of people out there to support it. Yes. Well, I am so grateful for the work you're doing out in the world and that we connected today. Me too. Thank you for putting all of this beautiful work out there too. Oh, thank you so much. So where can people find your courses and your books and maybe that amazing article that resonated so deeply with everyone? If it's still out there. (laughs) It's still out there somewhere. It would have the same title as my book, Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. Um, You can find all my books anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and they're all on audio and Kindle paperback and oh, everything. And then my, um, my website is clairebidwellsmith.com and all, you can find everything through there as well. Wonderful. I will link to your website and I just want to thank you again so much, Claire, for being my guest today. Thank you so much, Laura. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, 
Go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code therapy chat, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy to use HIPAA compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code therapy chat. Thank you for listening to therapy chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you.